0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How's Spring Branch today? Good. good. February 22nd, 1980, in Lake Placid, New York, there were 20 college boys who made history. Sports Illustrated called it the greatest sports moment in the 20th century. David took down. Goliath, the Soviet Union men's hockey team, was taken down in the semifinals courtesy of these 20 college kids. It was a miracle on ice. How did they do it? They went on to beat Finland in the gold medal match, achieving history. Watch this. Think you can win on talent alone? Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. Again. You better think about something else, each and every one of you. When you pull on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates. And a name on the front more important than the one on the back. Get that through your head. Again. Michael Ruzzioni. through Massachusetts. <laughs> Who do you play for? States of America, that's all, gentlemen. Who, man, did you get shivers? Yeah, yeah. I've seen that many times. Inspiring, isn't it? A bunch of, bunch of guys come together as one to achieve a miracle. Herb Brooks says this, it was here the sight of 20 young men of such differing backgrounds now standing as one. Young men willing to sacrifice so much of themselves all for an unknown. On one weekend, as America and the world watched, a group of remarkable young men gave the nation what it needed most, a chance for one night not only to dream, but a chance once again to believe. It takes a team to live our dream, right? We have a saying in our house teamwork makes a dream work. It takes a team to live our dream. We all have a dream, don't we? Martin Luther King said it best I have a dream. And he painted this compelling picture of the future. And a revolution began. I have a dream, you have a dream, we were designed to dream. No matter your place in life, no matter how old you are, if you're a student in high school, in college, if you're a 20 something, a young professional, if you're a young married, if you uh, are an empty nester, uh, if you're a senior citizen, 70, 80 plus years old, we all have dreams, right? We all have dreams, we're designed to dream. But my guess is, through these doors to morning, this morning, we, we brought we brought some dreams. Um, we brought we brought some some dreams, but but yet we, we brought disappointment. We brought some discouragement. Some of our dreams have died. Some of our dreams have kind of fallen by the waste, the wayside for one reason or another, circumstances, or maybe some excuses we've made. Our our dreams have been forgotten. So today, my hope and my prayer is that we would remember our dreams, and that we would gather a dream team around us, whether it's our family, maybe it's our spouse, uh, maybe it's our coworkers. If you're in a business place, if you're at home, uh, we, we, all, we all have an opportunity to gather people around us to help live out that God-sized dream that he's given us. But today we're gonna be talking about The Ideal Team Player. Patrick Lencioni wrote this book called The Ideal Team Player. Uh, and it's it's a great book. I'm I'm going to retitle it. I didn't tell him this, but the ideal dream team player, right? Helen Keller said it best. She said, "Alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. We are better together." We find ourselves in this selfie culture, right? We got iPhones, we got iPads, we got iTouches. I can do it. We pull up our own bootstraps. But we need each other, right? We need a team of people around us. Life is better together, isn't it? So we're gonna dive in here to the story of Nehemiah. It's a beautiful picture of of, of what it means to pursue your dream. I'm not talking just vocationally, I'm not talking maybe uh, just your work or your job, I'm talking maybe uh, I wanna be a better husband, I wanna be a better wife, I wanna be a better mom, I wanna be a better dad, I wanna be a better person, I wanna be more engaged as a father, more engaged as a mother. I want my kids to grow up uh, mature in their relationship with God. Whatever that dream is for you, whatever that great work is for you, we're gonna dive into that today and remember uh, what God has called us to. And Nehemiah is a great example. Uh, There there were were many times over and over where God told his people, follow me, obey me, and for hundreds and hundreds of years, the, the people turned their back on him. You read it throughout scripture. Same old, same old. It's a cyclical, systemic thing throughout the Bible where God uh, gave, gave them a fresh start, new beginning, new mercies every day. But the people said, yes, God, I'll follow you. But time and time again, God's people turned the other way. And he said, all right, I'm gonna scatter you among the nations if you keep disobeying my commands. And sure enough, God was true to his word because he's full of grace and he's full of truth, Right? and he scattered the people among the nations. He allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to invade Jerusalem, the hometown of God's people. And at 445 BC, we find Nehemiah penning these words. This is like behind the counter, behind the scenes. This is like his personal diary, and it's a sneak peek into what he was experiencing, because Nehemiah was uh, was one of the Jewish people, exiled from his homeland. Some people were exiled 400 miles away to Babylon, and some people found themselves in a place called Persia, and that's where Nehemiah is here. Nehemiah chapter one, let's read together. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah receives bad news. His brothers, his sisters, his family, his friends. There are some, 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 some folks who were still there in, in Jerusalem. And uh, he, he, he receives the, the state of affairs there, that the walls are still Broken down. Back in that day, a wall symbolized power, a wall symbolized strength, it symbolized security and stability. Even more so, Jerusalem was known throughout the region as, as God's towns, where God's people lived. And so the surrounding regions saw blood in the water, right? God's people, their place that they called home was vulnerable. And the surrounding regions saw blood in the water, right? They were licking their chops like, all right, we, we can take over Jerusalem. And so it's no wonder that Nehemiah responds the way he does, right? You read in verse 4 As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And we find out from the month of Kislev in verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 1 in the month of Nisan, how, how much time was that? That was four months, four months worth of Nehemiah on his knees weeping. Mourning, fasting before God, pouring out his heart to God. The first virtue of an ideal team player is humble. Everybody say humble. This is how Patrick Lincioni defines it. Humble people lack excessive ego and concerns about status. They share credit and celebrate team over self. They show genuine interest in others and consider the welfare of others before their own. Nehemiah was humble. He thought about, he, he, Rick Warren has this great quote, humility is, is, is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? He was concerned for his fellow people. He showed us genuine concern for others. That's humility. Humility is seeking the welfare of others. Philippians 2 says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's the selfless way of relating to people. And that was Nehemiah's posture. My friend, Chris Payne, pastor in Charlotte, he says that concern is one thing, it's easy to have concern. but When you go the extra mile, when that concern turns to action, that's compassion. And that's what happens here in the story of Nehemiah. He not only has concern, he not only writes a check, but he, he acts out on it, and he actually goes to Jerusalem. We'll find out, and he takes action. See, see dreamers, dreamers think about what should be done. Leaders actually do something about it. That's what we find here with Nehemiah. He was humble before others. Um, he lacked an excessive ego. He sought the welfare of others. He was concerned about his people, inquiring about the state of affairs in Jerusalem. And he was humble before God. We'll be humble before others if we're humble before God. It's just a natural overflow. And he prays before God, verse five, he said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Again, humility, I'm your servant, God. Now that I pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servant. Spring Branch, what breaks your heart what breaks your heart? Because that may be what God is calling you to step into. That may be where your great work is, where your God-sized dream is. Bill Hybels talks about it as a holy discontent. This is divine anger. What makes you cry? What, what caused you to say, ah, oh, that's not how it should be. It should be like this. Somebody should do something about it. <laughs> and God the whole time is saying, how about you? how about you? And that's what's happening here. Nehemiah gets on his knees before God and for four months cries out to God on behalf of his people, confessing his own sins and confessing the sins of his people. See, I think so often we're so much in a hurry to get from point A to point B that we don't see people to our left and to our right who are hurting, who are lost, who are confused, who need a helping hand. And Nehemiah, his concern for others drove him to compassion, to action. And we find out at the end of chapter 1 that he was cupbearer to the king. He just kind of throws it in there real quick. He was cupbearer to the king. Here's this, here's this Jewish man in exile in Persia, and he has, he has won the favor of the king Artaxerxes, and he, he has, his, his vocation, his position was a cupbearer. You know what that is? It's the most trusted person in the kingdom. The king trusted Nehemiah to taste test every drink and every food before it met his lips. The king trusted Nehemiah with his life. And Nehemiah was leveraging his position. We've all been positioned in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our families in such a way to have great influence. All we need is the right perspective. There's purpose in our position if we have the right perspective. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah leverages his position as the cupbearer and he approaches the king with humility. He was prayed up. How about you? I am guilty of of, of taking action and just jumping into things and just kind of figuring out as I go. And then at some point, God kind of whispers like, hey, Heath, have you prayed about it yet? <laughs> and I'll say, oh yeah, 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 God, 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 could you be in this with me? And he's like, hey, I've been here the whole time. What if you sought me out first before you jumped in to action? I love the example of Nehemiah here. He has this big dream, he has this big vision. And the first thing he does, is he gets down on his knees and he's got holes in his jeans and he prays hard for four months. Start with prayer. Start, start with the awesome, as he, as, he, as he describes God, a great and awesome God. We don't know what's in front of us. We don't necessarily know how it's gonna happen, but we know who's in front of us, amen? We know that there's a great and awesome God, a steadfast, loving God ahead of us preparing the way, and we need his wisdom. We need his discernment to make the right decisions. And so the first Indispensable virtue that Nehemiah has is humility. Are you humble? Are you humble? And Nehemiah was kind of a big deal, but he set aside, he set, he set aside uh, his, his powerful position. And he humbled himself and he leveraged it to gain to, 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 to do a great work. Chapter two. Uh, chapter two. Um, the second Virtue of an ideal team player is smart, smart. It's not about being intellectually smart, Patrick Lencioni says, but knowing what to say and how it affects others. They have common sense about people, they know how to behave well with the team and are able to work effectively with a variety of people. People smart, common sense, right? It's knowing how your words and how your actions affects your decision, affects how you relate to other people. Chapter 2, verse 1, the month of Nisan, like I said, that was four months of prayer, mourning, and fasting. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Good idea there. Nice move. Nehemiah, do your job. Present the king with some wine. Right? And he says, "Now, now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart and then I was very much afraid. Let's just stop there for a second. Uh, emotional intelligence, right? That's one thing I've been learning recently is, okay, how do my emotions, I'm a passionate person, how do my emotions, how, how do my, how are my feelings impact what I say, how I say it? Um, oftentimes I'll, I'll be feeling a certain way in the middle of the day and I'm just not, I'm, I'm not quite sure why, <laughs> and so God's given me Lindsay to help me figure out, okay, let's, let's put these pieces together you might be feeling this way because this happened. Or, and so this is, this is probably something to be aware of as you, uh, as you, uh, as you make decisions. And this, it, it's been an ongoing conversation for us. And it's been kind of a breakthrough of, okay, it, it's okay to feel certain things, have certain emotions, but how does, how does how you feel impact and influence what you say and how you say it and what, what decisions you make. So Nehemiah, he's got some emotional IQ here. He's, he's smart in a way that says, all right, How how am I feeling? How does this influence the situation? Sad, afraid, he said to the king, Let the king live forever. That's that's a wise move, right? I'm going to go ahead and lead with that. Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, What are you requesting? What are you requesting? And Nehemiah's like, all right, is that a yes? (laughs) Could you clarify that? I love that question, what are you requesting? The king of kings asks us that question. The God of the universe asks us that question. What are you requesting? When was the last time you, you requested of God? Have you stopped asking him? It's okay to approach God with boldness and ask him for big things. He's a big God. He can shoulder it request things of God. God, I need help. I need wisdom. I need strength. God, give me peace about this decision. Help me to know what to do. What are you requesting? And it says, so I pray to the God of heaven. How many of you have been across the table from somebody over a lunch meeting, maybe uh, at a business meeting? Maybe somebody just poured out their heart to you, shared their struggle with you, and you don't know kind of how to advise them, how to help, and you just pray. You just pray. I love that example of Nehemiah. You know, pray before meals. We can pray on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock at Spring Branch. We can pray all day long in the midst of our conversations. God, help help me to be smart here. Help me to know how to say, what to say. I pray to the God of heaven. God's accessible, isn't he? He's available. Pray to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant, again, humility, if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. I rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So the king wants a plan. And so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. See Nehemiah was not only prayed up but he was planned out. One thing I, I, one thing I feel like I, I'm wired to do well is to you know, get people excited about something and to cast some vision and um, kind of you know, bring a team together and paint this picture of the future. Uh, and so there's kind of a wow thing going on, but I'm thankful that God has given me my wife, Lindsay, because she'll, she'll ask the question, so how? That's great, Heath, that sounds good, but how? You not only need the wow, you need the how, right? Not only pray, prayed up, but planned out. How are we gonna do this? God has given us the cognitive ability to plan. God's waiting for us to plan. Set some goals, short-term goals, long-term goals. Map it out. Share it with somebody. Have them hold you accountable. Have a plan. Prayed it up and planned out. And plans flow out of prayers, right? They're both, they're two sides of the same coin. You gotta have prayers and you gotta have plans to fulfill our, the great work that God has given us. And I said to the king, Nehemiah, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond their river, that they may let me pass through. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. So he, he, he already, he, he's, telling, he's telling the king, hey, I need some timber. I know a guy who has timber. Hey, can you, can you just kind of clear the path for me to make this happen? So he already had thought out his plans. He was ready to jump in. And then he recruited people. It takes a team to live our dream. He recruited people. He, he arrives in Jerusalem on horseback, rides through the night, inspects the walls, and then he gathers a group of people around him. And this is what he says. This is powerful. He says, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. So leaders define Reality. Good leaders define reality. They don't sugarcoat anything. They say, "All right, the walls burnt down. It's lying in ruins. No ifs, ands, or buts. This is reality." But it's not only the what; it's the why. The power of the why, Simon Sinek says. We are driven by the why. We need to start with that. Nehemiah says that that we sow that. Let's build a wall so that we may no longer suffer derision. What does that mean? Derision, mockery. They they, they had lost their dignity as God's people. They were the laughing stock. They were hanging their heads low. And Nehemiah, it it just broke his heart. It broke his heart. And the people got on board. And they said, um, well, first Nehemiah says, I I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good. So he's already already given God credit. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. I will rise up. Sorry, couldn't resist. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Vision, momentum. Momentum happens when everyone moves together in the same direction. That's momentum. A clear, vivid picture of the future. What could be, what should be for a better future. All of a sudden, you have people with you. You have a team around you that is on board, standing shoulder to shoulder, pursuing a common direction. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen says, without vision, the people perish. We need vision. We are better together and we are better with an end goal clearly laid out. The third virtue, the third indispensable virtue. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, before I get there, I want to build some more suspense. What that third virtue is? <laughs> In chapter three, I don't want to forget this. Nehemiah recruits forty individual people, forty people, consisting of ten different groups. And get this, he didn't discriminate against anybody, regardless of social class. Listen, there were priests involved, there were goldsmiths, there were people of nobility, there were perfume makers. There was a wide variety of people from all different walks of life who were committed to this vision, committed to this, uh, to, this, to this dream, this God-sized dream that Nehemiah had received. I love it. There were families serving together. Just a powerful example of, 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 of a dream team. I, I want to read a quick story. Um, one of the things I love about living here, there, there are so many things to see and do. Um, I can't wait to take my family up to Williamsburg. Uh, my parents brought me down here when I was a 10-year-old boy. Um, and it was just uh, uh, a powerful experience learning about the history of our country, how it started off with a dream. Um, and there were people that, uh, that helped uh, fulfill that dream. It, this, this, uh, this little writing is called The Broken Wall, The Broken Wall, and it's about George Washington. It says, once George Washington was riding near Washington City with a group of friends, and they came to a place um, where they had to leap over a wall. In the process, one horse knocked off a number of the stones from the wall. Washington said, we better replace them. His friends told, oh, let the farmers do it. But Washington didn't feel right about that. When the riding party was over, he went back the way they came. He found the wall and dismounted. Then he carefully replaced each of the stones. Imagine that, George Washington. His riding companion saw what he did and said, you're too big to do that. His only response was, on the contrary, I am the right size. I love that answer. He wasn't so much on his high horse, if you will. Uh, He humbled himself, got his hands dirty, and he was a team player. And he realized that, 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 that his example could inspire the people around him. He was a servant leader. He had people smarts. He understood that his actions and his words in that moment um, would have great impact for his team. And obviously this story is still being told today. The ideal team player is humble, smart, and I know you're on the edge of your seats, The third. Virtue is uh, that they are hungry. They are hungry. They are hungry. This is how Patrick Lencioni defines it. They are always looking for more. More things to do, more to learn, more responsibility to take on. They are self-motivated and diligent. It isn't driven solely by personal ambition. It's thinking about the future and bringing the fullest and best effort to it. I love that. In the early 90s, Michael and Gail sat at their kitchen table across from each other. And God had given them a dream, a dream to start a church. A church that uh, brought faith and life together. A church that was biblical and creative. A church that built up believers, sought out seekers. And in, in 1993, at the center of the arts, on May 23rd, 140 people gathered for the very first service at Spring Branch. And they started to see their dream take shape and this, this team of people, smart people, humble people, hungry people were gathering around them, supporting them and their God-sized dream. And then in 1998, a couple years later, uh, they started meeting at a middle school and the church kept growing and growing and groaning. And we, we have seen over the last 25 years, hundreds of people take a step of faith and get baptized. Hundreds and hundreds of people uh, receive Christ as their Savior. We've seen kids uh, experience children's ministry all the way, uh, all the way from, from infancy through high school. And they matured in their faith and they're now making a difference in the world. I love, I love our story, but guess what? The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come at Spring Branch Community Church. And God has positioned us in such a way to do a great work here, near, and far. There's always gonna be opposition, isn't there? There's always opposition to a great work. 2 Timothy three twelve, Paul says, for those of you who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer Persecution. It's just the way it goes. Any great work will have opposition, internal opposition. Maybe we have doubts, maybe we have fears. External opposition. We need to stay true to to the great work, the dream that God has given us as individuals and as a church and stay hungry, stay gritty. Take that next step. Keep taking that next step even even when it seems impossible. We need to know that God is with us and we're surrounded by a village of people. It takes a village and we are better together no matter how difficult that next step may be. Nehemiah was hungry. He was hungry. And in chapter four, uh, it says, now when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. He jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his of his brothers in the army of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? Is making fun of them. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And this is funny. This guy says, Tobiah the Ammonite says, he says, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Anytime that we we step out in faith, um, there'll be moments where we feel lonely. There'll be moments where we feel like, it's just me here. But we need uh, to to have people, we need to include people around us because there's going to be opposition, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be barriers in our way. But what if we saw those barriers not as problems but as opportunities, opportunities to show the greatness and awesomeness of God? And that's what Nehemiah does. In verse 6, he says, in response to, to all the mockery, in response to, to those guys, it says, so we built the wall, and all, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Thomas Edison said, uh, Greatest, great opportunities are missed because they wear overalls and look like work. <laughs> I love that. Nothing like hard work. the greatest contribution, maybe the greatest contribution we can make in the kingdom of God is not so much what we do, but who we love. It's not so much what we leave for people when we leave this earth, but what we leave in people, the legacy that we leave behind, the mark that we leave behind. What's your part on the wall? What portion of the wall has God given you? Don't give up. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Nehemiah says, And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Again, prayers and plans. Prayed up, planned out. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And then it all culminates in chapter 6. Now when Sambalit and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, so he, all the walls have been built, Said I set up the doors, Sambalit and Geshem, same guy, sent to me. These guys are persistent. I don't know when to give up. Come, let us meet together at Hekaphiram in the plain of Ono, which that was your first sign that, you know, there's a plain called Ono. It's, I probably shouldn't go there. Uh, But they intended to do me harm. Smart. Good job, Nehemiah. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Imagine Nehemiah high up on the wall. The walls have been built over 40 days thanks to this dream team that he had assembled. And he shouts down at them, he says, I'm doing a great work, I cannot come down. It was a test, a test of Nehemiah's faithfulness and his belief in God. And he said, I'm doing a great work. I cannot go down. What if we said that every day? The evil one, the devil tries to get a foothold to convince us that that we shouldn't take that next step, that we shouldn't keep pursuing the dream that God has given us. But God wants us all to know that he is with us, and that, we, that he has equipped us and prepared us to achieve the great work that he has given us. Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you a sister or brother? Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Are you a CEO? Are you a teacher? Wherever you find yourself in any given day is an opportunity. Leverage your position. Be prayed up and planned out, and do a great work, and not don't go down. Don't go down, Spring Branch. Let's pray. Lord God, you love us so much, that you sent your only son, Jesus. And high up on the cross, final three words uttered from your mouth was it is finished it is finished there were naysayers there was opposition and you had a chance to go, to, to, to go down from the cross and compromise the great work but God you stayed up on the cross and you did a great work for us and in us and you didn't go down We're thankful for that today, Jesus. Lord, as we go from here, may we remember to be humble, to be smart, to have that passionate hunger inside of us to do a great work. And may we remember to to invite people into our dream, into our great work, so that we're not alone. We love you. We love you so much, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.